Hello, thank you for being here and listening to The Cycle Podcast. In today's episode, I talked to Alessandra. She's 29 and a former competitive ice dancer for the United States. We chat about how being a professional athlete with endometriosis is challenging, all of the doctors she saw, misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis, from IBS to depression, and so much more. Thank you for being here and listening into this episode and I hope you are feeling well. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Cycle Podcast. Today I have a local guest with me, so she is also in Michigan. Alessandra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I've listened to all of your episodes, so I'm really really grateful to be here. Thank oh, you. thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. We really appreciate it. And, you know, I always like to start off with just telling, tell us a little bit about you, not endo related. Yeah. So I'm uh, 29 years old, uh, living in Michigan. I um, still go back and forth to New York quite a bit, but Michigan is, is home. Um, I have a dog who's 10 years old named Mosley and I'm married to an amazing man. I'm very lucky. Um, and he's from Michigan also. So that's why I moved back home. Oh, okay. Yeah. Michigan. So before we, you know, we were just chatting before the show started and it's a very nice day here, which it's been actually a really odd May. It's been kind of cold in Michigan. And so we were both just talking about how beautiful it was outside and how I can't wait to get out there. So yeah. How's it, have you been to New York? How's it, how's it been there? I have. I was in New York a few weeks ago and it's starting to come back to life. A lot of people are moving back into the city and restaurants are opening. It feels like there's some life breathing back into the city again. Good, good. And I love, I love New York so like so much. I would love to like moonlight there a couple, a couple days a month or something. Cause it is just, it, it's a, it has my heart. It definitely, my heart has a piece of New York in it. That's for sure. So well, good. Well, let's chat a little bit um, about your story and, you know, endo and, and the path that you've been on with endo. And, you know, I like to start in the beginning of, you know, when you started your cycle or even early on, did, did you have any pain? Was there anything going on or, you know, did things start out fairly quote unquote normal? Yeah, they did. They started out pretty normal. Um, I guess I was, I was lucky. I got a my cycle later. So I was probably 14 when I had my first period, um, maybe 13, but then didn't have it again until I was 14. Uh, got it on an airplane for the first time, which was really uncomfortable. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, luckily my mom was with me. So I went to her and asked her what to do, but I had pretty regular periods. Um, they were regular in terms of how they felt, but they were pretty inconsistent. And I actually ended up going on birth control when I was 16 or 17, just because I wanted some regularity. I felt I was, you know, ice skating. I was a competitive ice dancer Mm -hmm. um, competing for the U.S. And I really wanted to just have a normal cycle. And I had heard friends that hadn't even gotten their period being on the pill. So I thought that's such an ideal situation. I should probably get on the pill. (laughs) And I did for a while. So you started the pill at like around 16, but like you just mentioned, and I want to dig into this a little bit, but you know, you were competitive. She says it's so easy breezy competitive ice dancer 
for the U.S. Olympics? I didn't, I did not go to the Olympics, um, okay. but I did but the, for the United for States. For yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And so inconsistent, did you have, like, it was like, sometimes you would have your cycle, sometimes you, you wouldn't. And obviously being a, I professional athlete, really like you want that to be predictable because you're wearing probably, you know, some very interesting outfits that you would not want to start your period on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, um, I thought that it would be helpful to just be able to predict when I was going yeah. to get it to prepare just because preparation is everything, uh, yeah. preparing for competitions, preparing for practice. So yeah. uh, that was just another thing I wanted to prepare for. Right. But I was lucky that it wasn't so horrible. I mean, I could take two Advil and be totally fine for the day. So okay. it wasn't really so much the pain or uncomfort or any symptoms. It was more just wanting uh, to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally, I understand that. So you start that at 16 and then you kind of just, you're, you're competing, you're living life, you're doing your thing, you're going through high school. What, what happens next? So I stayed on the pill until I was about 22. Okay. Um, and I ended up going off of it only because I started getting really worried. I've always wanted to have children. I don't have children yet, but I really wanted to have kids. And I started getting nervous that it had been, you know, from the time of 16 to 22, I hadn't had a single period and it made me really uncomfortable. And I thought, what if I get off the period and I can't have a baby? So I decided maybe I should go off of it for a while, see how my body reacts. Um, Were you taking it? So no period at all. Were you taking it straight through? Like, like you wouldn't take the sugar pills where your cycle was actually supposed to happen or did it just suppress your cycle? I did take the, the sugar pills, but it just suppressed it completely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So from 16 to 22, really no period. No period. I mean, I had some of the side effects from the pill. Sure. You know, I gained a little bit of weight and had some issue with my skin, but I never had a period. So Wow. I felt lucky, but in other ways I got really nervous. Yeah. Okay. So then at 22, you're like, I'm going to just back off on this. And yeah. I'm guessing some interesting things started to happen after that. They did. So within probably six months of coming off the pill, I had my first ovarian cyst rupture <gasps> and I didn't know what was happening because sure. I knew nothing about painful periods, nothing about ovarian cysts. I didn't know what cysts were. I didn't know that I had a cyst. Um, but the day that I got my period, you know, six months later, I had a cyst rupture and I just totally collapsed on the floor. Luckily, I was at, I was home from college. I was at my mom's house and I could scream, muster up a scream to yeah. ask her for help. And, uh, you know, probably six Motrin later, she was able to get me in the car to take me to the hospital. But it was so mortifying. I mean, it was so painful. I had never experienced anything like that. And for anyone who's had a cyst rupture, it is excruciating, but I had, I, I had skated through the flu, through a torn IT band, through sprains, right? There was nothing that I couldn't make it through, but this totally took me out for, you know, two days. And at the time you didn't know what was happening, right? Were you just in this excruciating pain and obviously collapsed to the floor. And then when you went to the hospital, they were able to determine that it, that it was a cyst. 
Yes, my um, gynecologist met me there and he gave me an exam and he said, you just had a cyst rupture. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this. Maybe you should get back on the pill, but I didn't want to get back on the pill. Right. So um, I was fine for another six months and then I had another cyst rupture. And then after that, it was about every month, the first day of my period, I would have yeah. a cyst rupture and it became really consistent. Um, and after, it was debilitating. After the second one, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but after the second one, did your doctor say like anything like why this would be happening or were you curious? Like how, was it just like, oh, maybe because I just came off the pill and I haven't really been having periods that this is happening or was there any chat about it? I don't remember that exactly, but I sure. do remember that he wanted me to get back on the pill mm -hmm. and it wasn't until a few cysts rupturing later sure. that he had said to me, you might have endometriosis. Okay. And I'm sure, was that the first time you had heard of that word or had you heard of it before? I had never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. He explained to me what it was. Um, he told me it could affect your chances of getting pregnant. It depends on how severe it is, but he recommended to me to get back on the pill. And at that point I had had so many cysts that had burst that I wanted to get back on the pill. Yeah. But I think my endometriosis was so flared up that going back on the pill made it worse. And I had tried two or three different pills in the span of yeah. probably a year and it was worse. It was so much worse. And the cyst still kept rupturing and my, oh my I had all the side effects yeah. the pill and um, <clears throat> chronic inflammation and chronic fatigue. So are you now like 23 at this point? And are you still skating or is this like, are you fighting through this? Like, how's your day to day? Cause obviously if every month you're going through these extreme episodes, if anyone's ever had a cyst rupture, it is, it's 10 plus pain, at least when it's happened to me. And then for the next couple of days after you really just do not feel well. And like, you're saying you had all this inflammation, you were dealing with inflammation. How was your day-to-day -day life going? The day-to-day -day was, was really hard. Um, even, you know, the, the days of the month that I wasn't affected, I still was because yeah. I was so bloated. I still had so much pain in my stomach. Yeah. Um, it just felt like someone was constantly stabbing me with a knife in my stomach and just twisting the knife. It never really went away. And it might not, it might sound silly, but I, you know, I gained an extra five pounds that I couldn't lose. And it makes a difference when you have a partner that's lifting you Yeah. and you have to be in the best shape to be competing and you have five extra pounds on you. It's really hard. And then on top of that, when you're just constantly exhausted and constantly swollen and feel this pain in your stomach, it made it so hard to get through day to day. Yeah. And then I'd miss two days every month when the actual rupture would happen and I would be in bed for two days and it would take all the energy out of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was tough. I, a lot of my coaches and peers thought that I was going through something like that. I was going through depression that I mm -hmm. had, um, that I just really hated skating and wanted to not be present. Yeah. There were so many things that I heard and I was really frustrated because I just wanted to feel good. I, I didn't yeah. like missing a day. And you wanted to, you wanted to be there skating. You wanted to be doing the best job that you could, you know, and you were doing the best job that you could with what you had. And 
Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about just people not understanding and and how empathy is so important. I think one of the biggest things just to like segue into this for a second is that Endo has taught me is how to be empathetic to people in, in, in any regard of what they may be going to. And I just, something that repeats in my head all the time is if someone's rude to me somewhere at a store or on a call or something, I just try to think like, I don't know what they're going through behind closed doors because I know behind closed doors, I hid things for a really long time when I wasn't feeling well. And I wasn't in the best moods when I was having those really hard days. And like you were saying, like people just assumed, but they weren't being empathetic that you were, there was something and they didn't know better. And I understand that, but it brings up just such a valid point about you know, chronic illness and how hard it is to explain to peers and just see the other people in your life. It really is. It definitely gives you so much empathy and compassion for what someone else might be experiencing. And like you said, how their mood is and not really understanding the, the gravity of how challenging it can be. And it also, I think with this specifically, because it's so taboo to talk about your period and yeah. to talk about the symptoms that you have, um, nobody wants to hear about it, men or women, right. um, any, yeah. any one that identifies, you know, any gender, yeah. nobody wants to hear about a period because you grew up thinking it's so wrong to talk about what happens to your body, even though it's such a natural thing. So natural. So yeah. Even harder to explain to someone, oh, well, my periods are horrible. And then the natural response is, oh, well, it's just a painful period. Suck it up everyone yeah, has them right. and it's not necessarily normal. So it's hard to gauge when you need help. Right. And it goes back to the stem of also just the lack of awareness with endometriosis. So if diabetes, for example, has great awareness, and I think it took time for that. But if I said to you, like, I need to eat this right now because I may pass out because I have diabetes and I don't have diabetes, but I have some friends who do, but they always kind of put that warning in if there was more awareness about endo. And I think it's gotten better, but if there was more awareness of how painful it can be, how it can affect you. And you, you are a professional athlete or, you know, you're skating and you say to them, well, these couple days of the month, like I'm, it's not even that I'm tired or, or just like wanting to be home watching TV and being lazy. It's, I really can't function or move. Like you wouldn't want me here because I wouldn't even be able to perform but the lack of awareness, and like you just said, with periods where people just, everybody just wants to kind of sweep it under the rug and not acknowledge that it's such a natural thing, it's very hard to talk about publicly and really in your circles mm -hmm. that, that, you know, school or work or, you know, whatever, it's, it's difficult. So, okay, so your doctor had mentioned, I think you might have endometriosis you didn't know what that word was. And did you, what did you do next? Did you go home and like start to research about it? Or what were your next steps after hearing that word? Like, was there any explanation about what it was? Yeah. So he explained what it was and he's, he's amazing. He's still my gynecologist in Michigan. He's great, but um, he's not a specialist. Yeah. And so at first I thought, well, it's good to get a second opinion and who knows what I actually have. I looked it up, but there's so many, if you type in I know. symptoms you have, you can get any diagnosis under the sun. Yes. So I started um, going to see doctors in the span of, you know, taking different birth controls and not for that year. I, 
I went to so many doctors, I can't even remember how many I saw. In Michigan, in New York, um, every person that was recommended to me, I went for a checkup and I got a lot of different answers. I got, you know, this is normal. You should just keep taking the pill. Or um, I did get you're suffering from depression. So you should probably see a therapist and talk about what you're going through. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, if I seem depressed, it's because I'm in so much pain. Pain. (laughs) No one's acknowledging it. Yeah. Um, But every single diagnosis you can imagine, but not endometriosis, it never came back up. Sure. Sure. I mean, probably IBS I'm guessing. Did you get some of that? Yeah. IBS, which seems like a go-to. Yes. Doctors figure out what's going on. Yes. Because, yes. you know, some of the symptoms have to do with your bowel movements with constipation. Sure. Yeah. At this point, what were your, like, what are your symptoms and are you still taking the pill? I'm not, I haven't taken the pill since, um, I tried those other couple pills and you said, when I was 20, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And then you started this kind of journey of finding all of these doctors and just couldn't get any answers in, in your gut. Like, did you know, deep down, like something is definitely wrong. I know I don't have IBS. I, I, yes, I might be depressed, but it's because I'm in so much pain. Like, did you know in like your intuition telling you like something's off? I did. I, I definitely did. I felt like none of the answers I got were satisfying and Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep trying to find the right doctor. And I don't even know how I had it in me to keep going to find the right person, but somehow I did. Uh, But I got very, very lucky because a good friend of mine, Davis, uh, he is also, he was a nice dancer and he one day was like, you know, what's, what's up with you? You keep on missing a couple of days every month. It's so not like you what's going on. And I didn't want to tell him. Yeah. I didn't want to talk about my period or my pain, Yeah. Uh, but I finally just sort of, I was so, you know, we're such close friends. I finally just said, I'm having these horrible periods. And I explained to him my symptoms and he said, oh, my neighbor is actually going through that. She has a lot of similar symptoms and she spent years going all around the world looking for the best doctor. And she found someone in New York that she ended up having surgery with. And uh, she's so like, she ended up having, I think quite a few surgeries, but she said, he said, I'll get you the info of her doctor. And I mean, I have chills hearing that story because you were reluctant to tell him. And the fact that he knew his neighbor was going through it too. I know. Wow. And so then you were able to finally reach out and, and talk to a specialist. I did. So I made an appointment um, with Dr. Setchkin, mm-hmm. um, in New York. And it was amazing. The, the first appointment he sat down, he asked me everything, my story, my symptoms, how I felt, what I had been through, just even sitting and listening and asking those questions. I had never really experienced someone taking the time, not staring at their watch, trying to get in and out of the exam room. Right. Um, and then he, he examined me and he said, I can't, you know, obviously tell you without surgery, without going in, but I would guarantee that you have endometriosis. And he explained to me what it was and he drew pictures on his, you know, white erase board. And he told me what my options were in terms of surgery versus not having surgery. And I knew immediately, this is the right doctor. I want to have the surgery. This has to be what it is. I want to get this over with. Yeah. Um, But I did promise a family member of mine that I would go see one more doctor for a final opinion. Sure. A doctor also in New York that came highly recommended. 
And it was a horrible experience. And it happened the day after I had met Dr. Sechkin. And I saw this other doctor. I went in there. He maybe asked me a few questions. If that, he rushed me in. He said, you can either get on the pill or have surgery before even examining me. Oh my goodness. I get into the exam room. He um, doesn't wait for the nurse to come in. You know, I'm sitting there with my legs in the, in the straps. Yeah. Uh, waiting for the doctor and the nurse to come in. And he just comes in without the nurse, immediately like puts on a glove, examines <gasps> me very harshly. Right. It was so painful. Tears yeah. started streaming down my face. And it felt like it lasted forever. And he goes, yep, you have it. Let's book your surgery right now. <gasps> oh my goodness. And I was, I mean, I think that's important only because I didn't know at the time that there's supposed to be someone else in the exam room with you. I didn't know that that was the law, that that's how it works. And I knew something felt uncomfortable, but I didn't even have time to say anything because it happened so quickly. Because you were rushed. Now I just tell everyone when they get an exam, make sure there's someone else in the room with you. Make sure you feel comfortable because it was such an uncomfortable, unpleasant experience and painful. So painful. painful. I'm so Um, sorry you had to go through that. Oh, thank you. It's, it, you know, if anything, it just made me more certain that I wanted to have surgery with the other doctor, that yeah. he was the right person. Right. So as awful as it was, I think it happened for a reason so that I could A, help other people know what's okay in an exam room and what's not. And then B, to know that Dr. Sutkin was the person that I wanted to have surgery with. Right. Um, and I've since sent, you know, I've recommended 10 plus people to him. Right. Which had surgery. Um, and I don't recommend doctors to people because it makes me nervous. Nervous. Yeah, yeah. I know. I feel the same. I know. I feel nervous. the same way too. I know. So how old, how long had this time period now been after, you know, you stopped the pill at 22, 23, is this like 24, 25 after like going through all trying to find a doctor? How old were you? This was 20, I believe 23 when I found Dr. Suchkin and okay. in a year I had surgery. I okay. had surgery, yep, at 24, almost 25. Okay. Um, yeah. How were your before. symptoms? So you had stopped the pill at this point. How were your symptoms? Like I, I know every month things were, but how was it in between? Were you, I know you were tired and not feeling well, but did things seem to get like progressively worse for you during this time period where you were waiting to have surgery, like on a day to day? They did. I mean, it it sort of stayed the same. I had really, really heavy bleeding, Mm -hmm. sort of a chronic pain, chronic fatigue, the cyst that would rupture every month, the sort of weight gain and swelling, Mm -hmm. constipation. Mm -hmm. Um, Sex was really painful, incredibly painful. Um, And that was my sort of normal. I just learned how to deal with it and live through it. Had a, you know, pain medication that was prescribed to me so that when it would rupture, I could take the the pain medication to at least be able to get myself off the floor into bed to just rest for the day or two. Yeah. And I just had to deal with it till my surgery. Right. And yeah. And that was, you waited several months for that to happen. Um, yeah. And I know you said, so painful sex, constipation, bloating. I like to talk about the symptoms. Did you have back pain too? And like, 
and, and obviously the cramping, did you have any other pain that now you can look back and correlate it? Like some people say, like I had shooting down my leg and did you have any of those types of symptoms too? I didn't, I did have lower back pain, but I've always had lower back issues from skating. So it didn't, that was easier on the spectrum of the, you know, symptoms. That was an easier one for me to deal with. So were you still skating at this time as well through all of this? I was, I, I was still skating. I didn't, by the time I had my surgery, it was right when I retired. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of the last year of my competitive career was the most painful and uncomfortable year. Um, and I had the least consistent training, but, um, it was sort of, my mind was at ease knowing that when I had the surgery, that recovering, I didn't have to jump back in. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that, I mean, if you feel comfortable talking about it, I mean, being a competitive athlete and, and going through this, I'm sure did, how did that affect you, you know, mentally, obviously I'm, I'm, I know that it was challenging and difficult, did you just put on a brave face and get through it every day? Or, you know, were there times where it was just very difficult? It was really difficult. Um, I tried to put on a brave face as much as I could, but I mean, there were so many times where I was just hurled over on the side of the boards. Literally my body sort of flopped over because I couldn't hold myself up and I couldn't even fake a smile. So there were times when I just couldn't fake it, but the rest of the time I tried to sort of tough it out. I think mentally it was really frustrating. Yeah. Um, But I also thought that it might be my last year. So I tried to make the most of the time that I did have yeah. when my body was feeling somewhat capable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I yeah. I, I just think it's an interesting perspective, you know, coming from someone who's competitively out there and having this disease, did you feel maybe more at ease to once you pretty much knew you had endometriosis and then you understood what it was were you saying to people like, I haven't like, I know I have endometriosis. This is why I'm curled up next to the boards right now. Yeah. I I told my, my skating partner and my coaches, but I didn't really share it with a lot of people because I was so uncomfortable talking about my period that talking about endometriosis and very few people around me knew what it was. It was so uh, foreign to them. So I felt uncomfortable sharing it. Yeah. And the whole reason that I even started feeling comfortable talking about it was because my sister-in-law ended up being diagnosed with endometriosis. She also went to see my doctor, had her surgery a couple of weeks after me, but um, Mm. we had each other to sort of talk through when we were going through surgery. Yeah. And she's become such um, an advocate in the space and so vocal about her experience. She's been so inspiring to so many. And she not only shares her journey, but she also shares, you know, on her Instagram online that she's there for other people to talk to when they're going through something Mm -hmm. and her being so vocal and such an advocate actually helped me start to feel comfortable talking about it. I was so proud of her for being so out there and, and sharing something that was so, so personal and personal. And it, it inspired me to start sharing with people around me. And then I realized the more I talked about it, then the more people would tell me what was going on with them. And yes. it's, it's really helped form connections with people, family members, friends over the mm-hmm. years that have been going through this. 
knowing that they don't have to go through it alone, that I don't have to go through it alone, that we, you know, have the support system. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is incredible for, and you to just be open and talking about it and being people that are a little bit more in the public light too, right? Like it's, it's very difficult to open up about something that feels so personal and lack of awareness. And I tell the story sometimes I'm sure I've told it on the show, but I was very nervous about I would post on Instagram here and there about it, but it took me many, many years to really open up even to close friends. Like I would just be like, I have a stomach ache. I wouldn't go into it. But a couple of years ago, I was being more vocal and I was very nervous to post something on LinkedIn, but there was something I really wanted to post. It was a video or something on LinkedIn and I did it. And I was really nervous. And I was like, I should take it down. I should take, this is my professional, you know, this, I, I don't want people to think that I can't be at this, you know, elevated level in my job or, you know, I was just very nervous about posting about it. And what ended up happening is a CEO friend of mine who I respect so much and just adore called me on a random, it it was like a weekend night. It was very random. And he said, does your stomach hurt a lot with what you have? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I think my daughter has endometriosis based on what you posted. And I was like, can I talk to her? You know, I was just like, give me or give, give her my phone number. We'll talk about it. You know, she was probably 16 or 17 at the time. And that was initially like, oh my goodness, like embarrassing because it's someone I really not, you know, someone I look up to and I don't know very well, but it ended up really helping his daughter. And she was actually able to get surgery at a younger age, which hopefully sets her up for success. So whenever I feel nervous of like mentioning or talking about, I think back to that story. And just like you were saying more, you you connect with people, even if they don't have endo just on a different level, because you're being vulnerable. Yeah. So that's amazing. That's such, that's so great to hear, especially that she was able to help at such a young age. That's it's those, those moments are so important, I think, and have informed obviously what you do because you're so open about it now and have helped so many people with your podcast and by sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly, I, I'd never talked about it um, after my surgery with other people until I wrote down that I was on the, you know, endometriosis foundation of America on the junior board. And it was in a bio for something at this event. And I almost took it out of a bio because I didn't want sure anyone to know that I had it or what it was. Right. And this woman that I didn't know came up to me and she said, I, I have endometriosis. Do you have it? Cause I saw that you're on this board. And I said, I do have it. And then she, we ended up finding out we had the same doctor. She had just had her surgery. She knew no one in her life that had it. She didn't talk about it with anyone. And we sat for two hours, you know, missed the next session at the conference we were at. And we just talked and then we formed this bond. And we both realized we had so many symptoms that we didn't know were normal for this, but were, and it, it really helped me open up as well. Yeah. Change your view on speaking out. Yeah. Yeah. I, endometriosis has brought some of the most incredible people into my life. And the more I open up about it and the more connections I make, I'm just, just overwhelmed with how wonderful, you know, these connections that I never would have had if I hadn't opened up or talked about it or had the disease. I know that that sounds odd, but it's true. It really is true. Okay. So you had surgery and 
what happened? Were you nervous for the surgery? And then what happened after? I was terrified, but I was really excited to get it over with. Um, it ended up that I had endometriosis and I think 23 places inside my stomach. It had spread onto my appendix. So my appendix was removed. Um, but I, when I came out of surgery, I was in so much pain. I mean, it was not pleasant. It was not a good recovery. It was so painful. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was really grateful that he was able to get all of it out, but it was excruciating the recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, it, it took two years for me to be able to start to feel my body in the same way. I couldn't really, I wasn't training to get back in shape to ice skate, but I still right. wanted to just feel good. And I couldn't actually use my abdominal muscles for probably two years. Yeah. Takes time. Takes time. A lot of time. A lot of patience. Yes. Um, A lot of patience. And how are you feeling now? Or how are you feeling after the surgery? I feel so much better. Um, I, I stay away from gluten because I noticed that when I eat a lot of gluten, my periods are a lot worse. They're so much more painful. And the more dairy and gluten I eat, the worse they even are. So I really try to avoid them as much as possible. Mm. Um, I, I still every once in a while have, you know, painful periods where I end up sort of hurled over on the floor, but not to the extent of when the cyst ruptured. Right. And I, I would say I still have some symptoms. I get abnormally tired mm-hmm. when I'm on my period or when I'm getting it mm-hmm. more so than what I believe is normal. Yeah. And um, I have to pee frequently. Mm-hmm. And I always tell pressure. people, yes. And it's painful pressure. It's not not like, oh, I might have to go. It's like, I have to go now. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard to explain. I always forget that that's why I have that too. And and even sometimes I can't make it through an hour car ride without having to go to the bathroom. And um, I get, you know, made fun of a lot. And I always just say, oh, I have a tiny bladder. But it's actually because it's inside of, it's a symptom. Yeah. Um, So that's not the most fun, but it still is better than yes. the alternative. Um, and I would say that in general, things have been a lot better until about a week ago. I, I had another cyst rupture oh, no. for the first time. So I'm going to, I'm due for a checkup. Okay. But, I, and I'm not really sure why that happened. It might just be an outlier. Yeah. Could be an outlier. But generally things are so much better. Good. Ever since my surgery, I felt like I I don't think about my period. It doesn't overwhelm my brain capacity in the way it used to. Yeah. Like and scheduling think- everything around it. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. Good. That's good. And I'm so sorry to hear that that happened last week. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's okay. But it could be, you know, the one thing that I think I historically have been bad at, or just maybe in life, I catastrophize things. And I'm not saying that you are, but if something like that happened to me, or I had a really bad month, I'd be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like I'm sick. The endo's back. It's all over the place. And then like, it would be the next month would be okay. But I would just put myself, it's, I, I think there is some trauma around. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to not be afraid because we know how hard it was to go through all of it. Yeah, so it, yeah, it takes you right back there and you're, you're going to start over from square one. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I understand that feeling completely. So, well, 
I'm so glad that you're feeling better. Any tips or tricks, or I, I think you've given a lot of just about advocating for yourself and going to multiple doctors and things that you've cut out of your diet, but anything else that really worked well for you or that you want to share for people who could be just starting on this path or, or even far down the road that maybe worked well, that would help. I think the most important thing is to listen to your body. And when you know, something's not right to keep pushing until you find the right person who understands or listens to what you're going through and helps you solve whatever's happening because it's not, you know, as common or as frequent to talk about endometriosis as it should be because it is, you know, one out of 10 women have it and it's yeah. not talked about it in that capacity. So uh, really listening to your body and knowing when some, you know, at being your, your own advocate as challenging as that can be. Yeah. Um, and one thing I was surprised about when I was, when I was single and when I was dating was how many yeah. men unprovoked would sort of share with me that their ex-girlfriends or whomever would have had painful periods and how annoying it was to them. <gasps> and it always shocked me. And I would say, you know, make sure that you are not surrounding yourself with people that aren't supportive and don't hear you and, yes. and, and help you. I'm so lucky that I'm married to someone now who's the most supportive understanding, you know, brings me a heating pad and a blanket if I'm on the floor yeah. and, you know, calls me when he gets to work to make sure I'm still okay. I'm having that support system and knowing that there are people out there who will fight for you too. Yeah, that, that is such an incredible point. And it can be a neighbor or a family friend or, or finding another person who has endo in the community. I, I know I've visited strangers in the hospital just because I, I wanted to, and I, they had just had endosurgery or we met online and I never met them in person. There's people out there that are willing to help and support. I agree with you. A strong support system is, yeah. is necessary, especially on the really hard days. It yeah, is. it is. Okay. And I'm here. If anyone wants to talk about anything or needs anything at all, I am here for anyone who's going through this or thinks they are, or doesn't know if they are. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's great. Any, did we miss anything, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I just, I'm just so grateful that you gave me this uh, space to have this conversation with you. And I think I am so moved by your story and by what you do for the community and, and how you help other women and families and people. Uh, so I just want to thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing your story. And it, it helps so many people for us to just have these conversations. So thank you for your vulnerability and your strength for coming on and chatting with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your support listening in and all of your positive feedback. It means so much to me. If you'd like to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. If you could do that on Apple Podcasts, that helps us get more guests, helps us get higher search ranking. And I just really appreciate all of that good feedback because it helps people discover the Cycle Podcast. Also, if you wanna keep the conversation going, please join the Facebook group. 
there is the link in the show notes and it's just a group a, a very small group of people who listen to the podcast and guests who have been on the podcast if you want to further the conversation and lastly this podcast is not a replacement for medical advice or treatment so always have to put that disclaimer in there please always always talk to your doctor And thank you so much for listening, supporting the cycle. It means everything to me. And I just hope that this is helping you and you're feeling okay today. Thank you again.